Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. Wesley did an incredible job this morning, and I was so glad that I did not have to follow that. Um, that I, was, I was glad there was a song there, so we'll just let Will put water on the fire that was building, so that's good. But uh, for those of y'all that follow us on Facebook, Danielle is back. The uh, Wiley household is back complete once again. For those of y'all that do not follow us on Facebook, we, uh, she took, I guess, first trip, girls only trip uh, that she has taken since we've had Catherine. So, uh, and it may be another five years before we have another one. But I'm alive, I am well, uh, and all the kids are in mostly one piece. So we're good. Um, but it's always a pleasure to get up here and uh, proclaim the word of God. Uh, Craig is okay. Um, he is alive and well and whole. Also, he's just taken a little break after finishing up Mark over the last five, six years. Uh, he is, it hasn't been quite that long, uh, but, um, no, but he's taken a little break in between series, and so it's good to get up here uh, and speak to you. As uh, Ted said a couple of weeks ago when he preached, Craig was here, um, it's always weird when your boss is in the room, so I'll try to be on my best behavior. Um, usually he just hears it later on online, uh, or he says he does. I don't know if he actually goes back and listens or not. But, um, he keeps asking me to do it, so uh, he must not. Um, but uh, So we're here today. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be in your presence. Glad to be in the presence of God uh, as we study his word. So let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much for today. I uh, thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word and hear what you have to tell us today. May the words that come out of my mouth glorify you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I hate to lose things. Like, I keep things forever because I have a certain spot that I put them in. That that's where, that's the place that they go. Uh, everything is in order. Everything is set up. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, everything is set up. Everything's where it's supposed to be. And so, in that rare occasion... When I go to look for something and it is not there, I go bananas. I'm like, where is it? Where is it supposed to be here? I put it right here four years ago when I put it there, and it's supposed to be there now. And so I do the I, one first thing, I tear, uh, uh, tear up everything in that area, uh, and then I do the natural thing, and I blame my wife. Um, Danielle, where did you put it? Where did you put this thing? Why is it gone? You, it should be here. I put it here. It should be here. Why did you move the stuff that was mine? And she's like, I did not move it. I didn't touch it. Yes, you did. You know you did. And obviously, I always find it and they, you know, right where I put it so that I wouldn't lose it. Uh, but also, we have another culprit in our house. It's Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee likes to take any bag that we have in the house that we are not currently using and she proceeds to go through the house and just put stuff in there. She's going to the store, so she's going to put stuff in there. So whether it be remote controls, jewelry, shoes, uh, whatever else it is, whatever we're needing at that present moment, uh, she's usually put in some kind of bag somewhere. So then you have to go back and ask her, Kaylee, where did you put the remote control to the television? Oh, it's in my bag. So she runs upstairs and goes and gets it. But I hate to lose stuff. Uh, it, it drives me absolute bananas. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to look in a story, uh, a series of parables that Jesus taught. Uh, and it's a series of parables where he talks about things that are lost and how God always wants them to be found. 
Uh, he's bringing them in and bringing them into uh, what, what wants uh, to be his again. Uh, and so if you'll open your Bibles to uh, the book of Mark. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. Uh, no, open to the book of Mark and then turn right. We're going to be in the book of Luke today. We're going to be in Luke 15, uh, which is a story that a lot of y'all are familiar with. Uh, it's a story, as it's labeled in your Bible, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, and this is one of these, and the reason I, I, I was drawn to it today uh, is this is one of my favorite parables. Uh, and whether it's the, just the, the sheer basicness of it, of, of a son that has gone away from the father and has come back home. Uh, I think we all can identify that in our own spiritual walks, uh, and mine included. But also a, a couple of years ago with a, a book that I read of looking at the older son uh, and where I placed myself in that part of the story. Uh, and so as we look to this, I hope to bring some of that out. Um, but if you'll open your Bibles with me right now to Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And then he had spent, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer, to be worthy, to, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured, and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother 
was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so let me set the context of where Luke is at this moment in the story. At the end of chapter 14, or yeah, at the end of chapter 14 uh, is the part where Jesus is talking about salt. Salt is good. Salt is used to flavor things. But if salt loses its saltiness, then it really doesn't do anybody good. The best place for it is in the manure pile or in the trash. With those who have ears, let them hear. But then the first part of 15 is he continues to teach. Verses 1 and 2 say, Now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So just picture this, this scene. As Jesus is standing there and, and Jesus is teaching, or he may be sitting, but he's sitting there teaching. And he's getting there about how things lose their effectiveness. And if they're no longer doing what they've been made to do, then they're really not getting any good for anybody anymore. And then we have this picture of the Pharisees and the scribes sitting off to the side going, this guy's teaching these people that don't need to be te taught, teached. Proper grammar. Welcome, teachers. Um, He's teaching these people that, that don't deserve to be taught. What do they know about God? What do they know about the grace of God? He just sits with sinners, teaches with them. So I think there begins a little gleam in Jesus' eye. And he goes, okay. How about you men out there? How many of you, if you had 100 sheep and you brought them in for the night, discovered that there were only 99 there? How many of you would not go out, find that one lost sheep, and bring them back? That's how it is with the kingdom of God. Everyone rejoices when that one sheep is lost or when that one sheep is found. What about the women? Women, what if you had 10 silver coins and you discovered you had lost one? You would do everything you could in your house to find that one lost coin. And when you found it, you would rejoice. You would celebrate because you found that one lost coin how it is with the kingdom of God. God celebrates the one that is lost. But then he goes a little deeper. He says, there's a man with two sons. Now, the younger of the two sons, he decides that one day he wants to uh, take his inheritance now. So he asks his dad, Dad, can I have my inheritance now? Dad says, okay. I'll divide it up and I'll give you what's yours. So a couple of days after that, the son goes out and he spends all of the money on wild living. And then, as Murphy's Law takes over, a famine hits the land. He's got nothing. Then he have food to eat. So he comes across a farmer and he says, hey, I don't have anything. I need, I need, I need to do something. I need a way to earn money. He said, all right, I'll bring you on. You can go feed the pigs. Now, there's nothing worse for a Jewish boy to be doing than to feeding pigs. They're the worst, most unclean animal that there is, according to their customs, according to their laws. So for him to be feeding pigs, and then what makes it worse, as he's feeding the pigs, he is so hungry, he's going, this looks pretty good. 
And as he continues to tell the story, he's like, so, the son came to his senses. He's like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go home. I mean, my dad's servants, they, they eat better than this, and they're just hired hands. The bread they eat is better than this. So the son mustered up his courage, and he practiced his speech. Dad, I, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me in as one of your hired hands. So he's practicing. The, and I could see it as he's walking down the road. I don't know if you get the same imagery that I get, but I, as I see him walking down the road, he's just sitting there practicing this. We've all gotten in trouble. We've all tried to figure out ways that we're going to get out of trouble or to apologize for what we did to get in trouble with our parents. He's just sitting there practicing. Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. If, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you'll just take me in and hire me as one of your hired hands, I, I, just, that's, that's all I ask. But as Jesus continued to tell the story, he says, but while he was still a long way off, the dad sees him coming down the road. And the dad doesn't casually stroll out there. The dad doesn't wait for him to come. The dad runs to his son. And there's a picture of that of love. His dad just embraces him. Wraps him in a big, giant bear hug. And what I picture is that the son has been practicing the speech for however many days he's been walking to get back home. Dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me as one of your hired hands. Just hire me so that I can have something to eat. I'm sorry. That is just muffled by the shoulder of his dad. Dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. His dad doesn't even hear him. He's like, hey, kill the best calf we got. The one we've been saving to celebrate, bring him up. We're going to have a big old barbecue. Because my son that was dead, he is alive. He has come home, and we're going to celebrate him being here. So the party begins. Put a robe on his feet. Put the ring on his finger to say that he's mine. Put shoes on his feet. Because we're going to have a big old party. But then Jesus says, but then there was the older son. He had been out working in the fields, and as he came back, he noticed the party was going on. So he pulled one of the servants over, and he said, hey, what's the occasion? What's going on? And the servant said, your brother who was gone, the brother who we thought was dead, he's back. He came home today, and your dad killed the fatted calf so that we could celebrate together. The son stayed there on the porch. So his dad came out to him, and he said, son, you know, what's up? Why don't you come in? Your brother. Your brother was dead. He's alive. Come on. Come celebrate. It's like, I'm not doing that. wasted all your money, trashed our name, and you killed a fatted calf for him? You even kill a goat for me. I've been here the whole time. I'm not going in there. That's where the story ends. The dad says, look, it's time to celebrate. Your brother was gone, now he's back. So what I thought we would do with the story today is look at these three characters that we have. 
What do we know about them? What do we learn about them? And how can that relate to us? What does that say to our own lives? What does that say to our own walk? So the first point that we have today is we're going to look at the first son. Obviously, it's the story of the prodigal son, so we have to look at him first. But we have the rebellious turned repentant younger son. So we have this boy who one day decides, hey, I don't know if he was sitting around. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he was sitting around going, wow, dad is loaded. Look at all this land we got. Ton of cows, all these fields, great house. Man, when dad goes, I don't, I don't have to do anything. We got it made. I don't know if somewhere along the line something creeped into his, his mind and went, Dad's sticking around a little longer than I thought. If he keeps going, I'm going to be too much too old to enjoy any of this stuff. I know. I'm going to ask Dad for my inheritance now. So he does. He says, Dad, let me have my money. So his dad goes, okay, I'll do what you ask. So he divided, up the, he divided up the property and said, here, here's your share. Ended up being about a third because of their customs and how they did things. Ended up being about a third of what the dad had. And so do you think this son went to this far off land and he, uh, I know exactly what he did. He went and found a sensible apartment, set up a high yield mutual fund, and just lived off the interest, right? Absolutely not. He did exactly what any young person would do with a ton of money in their pockets that was burning a hole in their pockets. He spent every single bit of it on everything there was to spend. I don't know if he had Lamborghinis. I don't know if he had Porsches. I don't know. I don't know what all he had. But he made sure he didn't have any money left. And then famine hits. No food, nothing. So now the son is just left with something. He just wants something to eat. He's just trying to find something to eat. And he's sitting there stuck. Man, what these, what these pigs are eating pretty good. Looks pretty good compared to, what I, what, compared to nothing. This looks great. So what do we learn from this son? Well, first thing we learn, he's selfish. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. Forget what dad says. Forget his better judgment. Forget all that he has built up. I want what's mine. I want to go enjoy life now. We also learn that he really has no regard for his family. He's willing to act, you know. In that day and time, basically what that son was doing was he was saying, Dad, you are dead to me. Give me what I want now. He has no regard for family. He's willing to live life like his father was not even alive. He's willing to leave his whole family. Just break it all and just go. But I will give him credit for this, and this is the last thing that we'll learn from him. He was smart enough to come home. It says in the story, he, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? 
but I perish here with hunger. He was smart enough to go home. He came to his senses. But then we have another son that's part of the story. And this is our second point, the constant turned rebellious older son. He pops in towards the end of the story. This is the older son. This is the son who stayed back and did not go out and spend all of daddy's money. He followed the rules. He played the game as it was supposed to be played. But something happened along the line. In doing all his duties, his heart got lost in the process. So when he walks into that party and says, hey, what's going on? Servant said, your brother, he was gone? He's back. He came back today. And your dad killed the fatted calf just so we could have a big old party. And do you think that, you know, what did the older son do after that? He runs in, he embraces his brother. He said, brother, I'm so glad you're here. Man, I thought you were gone. I am so glad you're back. Nope. He's ticked. He's mad. He's wondering where his party is. Where was my party when we had the best crop season we had ever had? Where's my party when we finally figured out the irrigation system and could water more crops so that we could pull in more money? Where was the party then? Dad wouldn't even kill a goat, much less a cow to, to uh, celebrate with. I've been here the whole time, and you've not given me one celebration. You've not given me one party that I could celebrate with my friends. So what do we learn from him? Well, to his credit, he's consistent and he's constant. He truly was always there. He was the one that was there to make sure that everything ran correctly. He was there to make sure the servants did what they were supposed to do. He was his dad's right-hand man. But we also see he was also selfish. He was still, it's all about me. Now, we don't know the motivation. We're not given privy to that. But was his motivation to do all those things because I want to make myself look better? Was that his motivation? Or did his heart just get lost? At the beginning, was it to serve his father, and then it just turned into serving himself? And so when he didn't get the, his due reward... He's mad. He's absolutely ticked off. And then also, he had no regard for family either. He was willing to break family relationships just so he could prove a point. Just because he was mad because he didn't get what he wanted. But then the third character in the story and the third point the consistent, always forgiving father. That's what we have that runs through this parable. It's the one character in the story that is, that is the most consistent. He's the one that even though he knows what will happen with the money that he gave his son, he gave it anyway. 
He's the one standing on the front porch watching for his son to come home. He's also the one that goes out on the front porch to question where the other son is at, to go meet with the other son. He's the one that goes out and to, remove, to the younger son to remove any kind of guilt or shame that he may have. And he's also the one that goes out to the porch to take away any anger that the other son may have. He is the one that wants the family to be together, to live together, to be in harmony with each other. So what do we learn about the dad? He is constant with his love, even though it hurts. He is willing to meet his sons wherever they are. Not only did he run up the road to meet the one son, in the middle of the party, he went out to meet the other one. And opposite of his two sons, he is unselfish. He's willing to sacrifice it all for his family. He's willing to sacrifice it all for his sons. He just wants them to be together. He just wants them to live in harmony. So, where are you in this story? As believers, I think we all can identify with the younger son. Because as believers, as followers of Christ, there's always that moment in our life where we come to meet Jesus. Where we no longer, we, we sit there and, and just like the younger son did, we, came, we come to ourselves and we go, hey, I can't do this anymore on my own. Things go better with God. And so we want forgiveness. We want to be part of the family again. So I think we all identify with that. However, especially in this context, especially in this arena, the Southern Baptist Church arena, how many of us are like the older son? But that conversion to Jesus is so long in the past that we're just doing our duties and we've lost our heart. But how many of you have been at this so long that you have lost the joy that comes when a new believer comes to know Jesus? How many of you are just tired? I've, I've, I've done these ministries long enough. It's time for somebody else to do it. Knowing that full well, when we do those ministries, we, we get to experience and feel that joy. And our Good News Club, to see these children come to know Christ for the first time is a joy that you can't explain. You have to be there to see it. How many of you are in that spot? As we wrap up our story, both children have sinned and both children have rebelled. They've just done it very differently. Make no mistake about it, this parable is not really about the two sons. This parable is about the incredibly forgiving father. In fact, I've often said that I, I think, and just so we're clear here, the gospel writers did not put the little asides to the thing to say what each thing is labeled. It, it's the Bible, it's, it's the writers that come back, the publishers that come back and do that. I've often thought that instead of being labeled the parable of the prodigal son, 
This needs to be the parable of the awesome, or of the incredibly forgiving father. Because that's the main subject of this, of this. The two sons rebelled. The two sons have sinned and fallen away. It's the father that wants to bring them back in. It's the father's forgiveness and grace that brings them back in. That leads me to our sermon and a sentence today. The outstretched arms of our Heavenly Father is a call to come into His embrace. No matter how far we have gone or how close we have stayed, His forgiveness and acceptance is for everyone. So let me finish with a book by Henry Nouwen called The Return of the Prodigal Son, which dives into each of the character traits of each of the, of the characters of this um, of the story based on not only scripture but also looking at uh, a Rembrandt painting um, which is uh, the Rembrandt painting is of this scene of the younger son coming home the father embracing him and the older son standing off to the side uh, and so here's what he says about the father the heart of the father burns with an immense desire to bring his children home oh how much you would have liked to talk to them to warn them against the many dangers they were facing and to convince them that at home can be found everything they search for elsewhere. How much would he have liked to, like to pull them back with his fatherly authority and hold them close to himself so that they would not get hurt? But his love is too great for that. It cannot, it cannot force, constrain, push, or pull. It offers the freedom to reject that love or to love in return. It is precisely the immensity of the divine love that is the source of the divine suffering. God, creator of heaven and earth, has chosen to be, first and foremost, a father. And as father, he wants his children to be free, free to love. That freedom includes the possibility of their leaving home going to a distant country, and losing everything. The father's heart knows all the pain that will come from that choice, but his love makes him powerless to prevent it. As father, he desires that those who stay at home enjoy his presence and experience his affection. But here again, he wants only to offer a love that can be freely received. He suffers beyond telling suffers beyond telling when his children honor him only with lip service while their hearts are far from him. He knows their deceitful tongues and disloyal hearts, but he cannot make them love him without losing his true fatherhood. As father, the only authority he claims for himself is the authority of compassion. The authority comes from letting the sins of his children pierce his heart. There is no lust, greed, anger, resentment, jealousy, or vengeance in his lost children that has not caused him immense grief to his heart. The grief is so deep because the heart is so pure. From the deep inner place where love embraces all human grief, the father reaches out to his children. The touch of his hands radiating inner light, seeks only to heal. 
Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to join the party? Because the Father is ready for, to embrace you. The Father is ready to meet you on the porch and embrace you right where you are. Let's pray.